0: Well, good morning to those of you, of course, who are here, but over in the Fellowship Hall in the Modern Worship Service. We are so glad that you are here joining us for the preaching of the Word of God this morning. And Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Go ahead and turn there or turn on to Acts chapter 1. However, you have uh, the text in front of you there. There's one in the pew rack in front of you in this room. And we are going to look at the value of reaching the unreached or reaching people who do not know Christ, reaching the lost. And, you know, that story of Jonas Salk when he founded the cure for polio, the uh, atomic bomb was only the other thing in the 1950s that Americans feared more. Polio was its greatest threat when it came to diseases. And so when Jonas Salk started a seven-year journey along with his researchers of finding this vaccine, He finally came to, uh, he finally found the vaccine and it took this mammoth effort of an army to test it out and to get it all around the world. There were over 20,000 physicians and public health officials who were employed to get this vaccine out or at least to test it. 64,000 school personnel, 220,000 volunteers reached 1.8 million people, or children rather, with this vaccine. And the minute that they realized that this army had delivered a cure, it instantly became something that was wanted all over the world. Nations from all over the globe wanted this vaccine. And they came to Jonas Sulk and they asked him a question. They said, um, now that you've found this vaccine and now that we've tested it and now that it's out all over the world, have you reserved the rights to the vaccine or have you placed a patent, P-A-T-E-N-T, patent, on it? And I love his response when they asked him that question. He simply said this. He responded in the form of a question. He said, could you patent the sun? Could you take something that is so life-giving and transforming and keep it to yourself and hold it and measure it and only release it for personal profit? He said, there's no way. So when we think of this value of reaching lost people, when we think of the value of uh, of something as connecting people to the good news, to the gospel, something that we've sung about and read about In both of our rooms this morning and in the hour this morning, how could we? How could we keep this incredible, life transforming news of the gospel to ourselves? How could we measure it? And how could we hold it and only release it at certain times? There's no way. And this is the heart of Jesus for his people. You know, as I was singing here the, on the front row, and as I was thinking of you folks over in the fellowship hall, well, here's one word that came to mind potential. The potential that is in this room to take the good news of the gospel to people is unbelievable. Because this is what we find in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus looked at just a handful of guys and he looked at the potential and said, Wait till you understand my perspective and power and plan that I have in store for you, this plan to take this life-transforming news of the gospel to many people. But do we have that heart, and do we have that understanding, and do we have that mindset as a church? And here is the danger for us as churches, that and I fall guilty to this, and I've been parts of churches where we kind of fall into a, into a rut a little bit of looking inward. You know, Bill Hull says this. Bill Hull is a writer and a pastor, and and he, and he loves making disciples. But here's what he says. He says, the average evangelical church in North America exists for itself. He says, churches are preoccupied with themselves and, and, and here's how this can happen. We we can be so overly concerned, and this is this isn't a bad thing, but we can be overly concerned about ourselves and how we how we worship and how we program and how we do things and how we disciple. These are all good things. In our mission statement, we, we talked about how we want to make disciples as we encounter God, equip believers, and engage the world. We want to make followers of Jesus as we come to worship and as we come to our life group and invest in one another and as we engage the world. But what happens is we as churches can turn inward and we as people can turn inward. And Bill Hull is right. Churches, we we become often too preoccupied with ourselves and in all of the things that we're trying to do and they're all good things. If we don't hold a value like reaching lost people, if we don't take a value like this and highlight it and hold it up and we undergird our mission with it and point to it and say this is important to the heart of Jesus and to the heart of God, if we don't, what happens is we continue in our inward focused lives and in our inward focused church life and we can get tangled and we can miss what happens when disciple-making reaches its full extent? When we talk about making disciples, here's how we measure maturity. Here's how we know we're hitting the mark, is yes, when we encounter God in expectant worship and when we equip one another and invest in one another, but if we miss the engaging the world peace, we're missing the heart of Jesus for the world. And, and, and that's, that, that's the, 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 the struggle that we all have, both as individuals and as a church. I love what Robert Lewis said. Robert Lewis says this, churches need to understand that, that they offer bridges, that bridges give life, through two-way movement, without its own bridges to the world. Church life in time fades into isolation and self-congratulation and finally irrelevance. And so this is why we highlight this value because it's near and dear to the heart of God. It keeps us open to reaching a lost and a hurting and a broken world. And and let me remind you that as Jesus came, he was a figure that as people encountered him, they worshiped him. There's no question about that. As his disciples walked with him, he he equipped them. He transformed them into people who were were being healed and then who were prepared to reach the world. But then they engaged the world. Think about it. As Jesus walked with these men, think of who he encountered. Think of how he engaged a broken world he he met a samaritan woman we talked about that a few a few weeks ago a samaritan woman who um, she's not a, not a jew so there's division there between jews and and the samaritans she she's a, a woman she's talking to this jewish rabbi there's there's distinction there but then she was a woman who morally just didn't have her act together she had been through four divorces and she was living with a man who was not her husband and Jesus engaged her and loved her. I love the stories of how Jesus engaged the guys who were employed by the Roman government. They were the they were considered really cheats and traitors because they worked for the Roman government, but they were the tax collectors. I love the stories of Zacchaeus the tax collector. I love the story of Matthew, how that when Jesus sees this this individual who's just carrying out his job day to day, and the Jewish people hated uh, these tax collectors, Jesus looked at him and said, I'm coming to your house, and he throws a party for him, and Jesus engages all of these, quote, sinners. So the religious people that 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 look down on broken, hurting people, Jesus, while he's walking with the three and with the 12, engages them and loves them. Or how about the woman who... They drag before Jesus. They pull her out of bed. She's committing adultery with a the man. They, they set her up, and they bring, And the religious leaders are ready to pick up stones and stone her. And Jesus says, all right, guys, you who are without any sin, you go ahead and go first. And you know this amazing story. They turn and walk away, and he looks at this woman, and he says to her, go and sin no more. Jesus... Um, we, we, we love the stories of him healing people, whether they were lame or whether they're sick or whether they're, they're, they're deaf. They can't hear, they can't see. Um, they're lepers, they have sores all over them. We forget that many of these individuals are outcasts in society and that if you were to physically touch these people, you would be considered religiously unclean. And many of these people, remember the the man who was blind from birth and the disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, Jesus, what did this guy do to be cursed like this? And Jesus says, no, 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 he didn't do anything, this is for the glory of God. Here's my point, is that the many people who, who were considered outcasts, the many people who were considered unclean, immoral, filthy, unethical, not religious, not good enough, not church people, Jesus engaged them. Now, who would those people be today? That's a great question. And they're all around us. And here, here's what I'm saying about this value. If we can understand and highlight this value that undergirds our mission, if we can saturate our minds and, and, and our hearts with this understanding that as Jesus grew his disciples to be like him, he then sent them and turned them around to go engage a world just like he did as well. You see, it's both. Disciple-making is not just simply learning about Jesus with one another. It is simply doing what Jesus also did, and that was engage brokenness and hurt and people who are struggling and people who are lost and apart from Christ. Maybe you're like that here this morning. There are those who are seated in the pews this morning. There are those who are seated in the modern worship service. And you do not know Christ. You're far from him. And, and, and your story might sound similar to the story of some of these other individuals. You might be kind of on the, on the, on the, on the outskirts of, of church or on the outskirts of society or on the outskirts of being good. But you know what? We, we just sung about it in here and I know you did it over there. We are like that too. Every single individual who is seated here has a story of brokenness and sin and guilt and shame and the gospel has come to many of us and we long for the gospel to come to you too. We long for this gospel to reach your heart and to transform you. And when that happens, then we've been given this incredible treasure, this incredible gift and, and like Jonas Sulk, we have no right to say we will hold it to ourselves, but instead we need it to break through. And in order to do that, Jesus speaks to us in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And let, let's read this text here and hear what Jesus has to say about this value of reaching people because he leaves his disciples with us. He's about to go. He's been resurrected from the dead. He has been seen by these guys. He's been walking with them for 40 days. And now he, he says, come to me uh, out in, in, uh, in a mountain right across from the valley there that separates the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. And he says to these guys, all right, this is it. I'm about to leave. Here's my final words. You remember when you were about to go to college and, and your parents um, sent you away, and um, they maybe got in the car, and then they started crying, they started boo and they, they can't help themselves. But do you remember what those last words were just before they sent you, sent you away? you remember what those last words were before they, before they left you? Here's Jesus' last words to these men that he poured his life into, and he has something incredible to say to them and to us. Let's read it. Acts chapter 1. Let's back up to verse 4 and then let's read all the way through 11 this morning. Here's what it says And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And he's gone. And now they're just standing there. Now they've heard Jesus' final words to them. And here is what he told them. Thought number one this morning, he changes their perspective. He changes their perspective. Our perspective about reaching lost people or reaching the unreached changes from our self-centeredness to God's heart and strategy. When we value this value, when we highlight reaching people, here's what happens. God's Perspective changes our hearts and our minds from one of being self centered, from one of being misguided or religious, to being centered on God's strategy and on God's design. Here, here's how it worked in the lives of those disciples in verses six and seven. G- they come to Jesus and they say, Okay, we've heard you talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, Jesus. We just read it there in verse 4. It's mentioned again in Acts chapter 1. They heard Jesus give a promise about the Holy Spirit coming. They're good guys. They they, they understand the Old Testament prophecies. They know they're observant. When Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one who has come. So they're putting all this together, and and here is what they are are putting together. And, And It's this understanding of the kingdom of God as they see it. It's it's an understanding of religion as they fashion it. It's an understanding of themselves being at the center of the kingdom. Now, okay, Jesus, we've got it. Now you have come, you've been resurrected, you've suffered, but now you're alive, you're the Messiah, the Holy Spirit's gonna pour out. We know the Old Testament says when the Holy Spirit comes, that the kingdom will be restored, but here's the problem. They were ahead of Jesus, Here's the, here's the thought. They were, were thinking about a time and a season, and Jesus is saying, No, 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 it's, just, it's not yet. It's not what you think. You're putting all this together and you're close. It's going to happen one day, but it's not going to happen now. And they're misguided, they misunderstand. That they, they, they see themselves at the center of this kingdom. They see themselves as ruling. Jesus had a discussion with them before he goes to the cross, and they're arguing about where they're going to sit in the kingdom of God, where they're going to sit as they rule over people. And Jesus reminds them, listen, I need to give you a perspective change here. I need to, to give you a, a sense of, of movement away from yourselves as ruling to now I am sending you on a mission Now I am asking you not to be so consumed about yourself and how you think the religion should work itself out. Or for us at Taylor's, we need to be not so concerned about what we think church should look like, but instead about the mission God is sending us on. And here's what happens when it comes to this value of reaching lost people. Here's where we can get off track. Here's where we can become misguided in our own hearts. We can become distracted and we can become discouraged. Let me, let me just share with you some of the things that go through my heart, They go through my mind when it comes to, to sharing the love of Jesus with other people, reaching people. We, we can become embarrassed. We can look at those around us and we can, in our neighborhood or in our workplace or wherever it is, and we can say, you know what, I haven't shared the gospel like I should time has gone by. There's regret there. There's a sense of guilt that is there. So I'm embarrassed. I mean, if I open my mouth now, if I begin to to engage with with people now, there'd be this sense of, well, why didn't you do that before? What's been holding you back? For many of us, there's this sense of, well, I, I don't have my act together. If only I could have a testimony, I could have a story, only if I could get to this part of my life, if only I could get through this season and stage of of what I'm struggling with, then people could see a Jesus in me that's different, and and we feel we're not worthy. There are some of you that are, are so broken, there are some of you that are so burdened by life. There are some of you who are going through struggles and you are going through hurts and, and, and you are so overwhelmed by the weight that is on you. Look, it's life. And you can't see clearly beyond yourself. You can't see clearly beyond your marriage or your children or your grandchildren. You can't see clearly beyond your struggle and your job or in your work. Let alone see other people let alone see brokenness and lostness around you. We can become distracted. We can become burdened. We can become discontent. How many of us, if we were real with ourselves, would say we expend a lot of energy with our discontentedness in life or in our marriage or in our, our workplace or in our church? There's this sense of, of discontentedness and we, we pour all of our energies into that. How can we then pour our lives into other people? There's, this under, there's, this, there's something always distracting us or moving us or shifting us away or there's always something that weakens our testimony, that weakens our story. But Jesus comes to these disciples and he says, listen, listen. I know you're misguided here. I know you're not on sinner, but let me shift you over to God's design and God's heart and God's strategy here, guys. He says, verse 7 the Father, He is the one that has fixed and ordained and, or, and has given authority over the things that are happening in your life and over the times in your life and over the seasons that you're going through. And the Father has established these things and he is simply asking you to shift your perspective away from yourself to his design and to his heart and his heart is to reach people. His heart is to use whatever you're going through to reach people. Do you realize that? Instead of going through the struggle and the strain and just saying, can I get through this? Will I make this? Instead, what if The Father has said, this is the time, this is the season, this is what you're going through, and you're going through it so that you might engage a broken world through the season that you're going through. I know you don't have it all together. I I know you don't understand it all. I I I know you're distracted. But I want you to move center to my design and to my strategy. Well, then how do we do that? Here's the second thing. The power. Where does the power come from? The power comes from the Holy Spirit. Power comes from the Holy Spirit to transform us first and then point to Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit's job is He, He points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is something that Jesus, it's it's amazing as you think about as he leaves his disciples, he's continually saying the Holy Spirit's going to come. I promise you, he's going to comfort you, he's going to equip you, he's going to teach you, he's going to guide you and lead you into all truth. He's going to teach you what to say when you stand before the authorities. He says in Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke says that Jesus comes and he gives commands to his disciples during that 40 days under the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4 and 5, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to baptize you. He's going to immerse you. This simply means, as Romans 8, 8 says, that when we are become followers of Christ, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives within you. And then when Jesus looks at these disciples and they're a little bit misguided and they're a little bit off center, he says, okay, I recognize that guys, you're close, but here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to wallow in your misery. I don't want you to wallow in your suffering. I don't want you to continue down the path you're on. I want you to go and I want the Holy Spirit to transform you the holy spirit's going to come you go to jerusalem you go down the mountain you go in the upper room there and you wait and you pray and 10 days later the holy spirit came and transformed that room they encountered the holy spirit he transformed them and turned them into these incredible men who throughout their lives didn't have it all together they didn't have all the answers they were they were broken guys they were hurting guys they 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 betrayed Jesus, but the Holy Spirit transformed them into men who carried out the mission of the gospel. And he could transform you. Think of all those things that we talked about, all those things that you struggle with, all those things that that you suffer with, guilt and regret and hypocrisy and distraction and discontentedness. It's not my role to share the gospel because I can't do that. That's the, the role of the pastor. Jesus knows all that. Here's his message to you that the Holy Spirit is the one who can come and can transform your heart and he can turn you into a man. He can turn you into a woman. He can turn you into a student. He can turn you into a follower of of Jesus, who no longer carries the weight of guilt and hypocrisy and discontentedness on you, but now frees you and transforms you and liberates you to share with a broken world. It's by his spirit. I mean, how else can you explain? Peter, a fisherman. How else can you explain this fisherman who... Would say all the right things at some times, but then he'd do all the wrong things another time? How can you explain this small businessman named Peter who around a campfire with a with a little Jewish servant girl who said to him, Aren't you the one who follows Jesus? And he curses at her and he betrays her and he runs and he weeps? And he thinks his, 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 he has betrayed the one that loves him the most, but Jesus restores him, and now he comes in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he powerfully is transformed by that. He preaches, and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And he goes to a cross instead of betraying Jesus. Tradition has it that Peter goes to a cross and he's hung upside down. How can you explain the transformation that happens in everyday people like Peter, everyday people like you, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? And here's what Jesus does. He, he, he takes these guys and says, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is, what, this is what I expect. This is what church should look like. This is what my life, buttoned up, looks like. And the Holy Spirit transforms it and says, I want you to become like Christ and engage a broken world. That's what he does through his power. But then the third thing, the plan. Here's what the plan calls for. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses. Here's what the plan calls for. Every day, disciples of Jesus who fulfill a global and eternal vision. All right, so here's the perspective. It changes, it shifts from, from our misguided understanding to God's design and strategy. That the, the power comes from the Holy Spirit to transform us and point to the work of Jesus to the gospel. But here's the plan, here's his strategy. It's you. Jesus didn't stick around, he he waited three years, he poured into these guys for three years and he says, it's you, you're the plan, there's plan A, the Holy Spirit in everyday people to engage a broken world. And He says it's you and it's me, do you realize that? And here's where I wanna help us with four things. Four simple things. They all start with the letter I. They come from a, from a great book called Life on Mission by Dustin Willis and Aaron Coe. Give all credit to these guys. It's a wonderful book. I was sitting at breakfast with one of our ministers a few weeks ago, and, and, or a couple of weeks ago, and we were sharing with a, a couple, and, and one of the ministers shared these four simple things, and I thought, that's it. That is so good. That, that tells me how I can tell our congregation how you are witnesses, everyday witnesses to the gospel. All right? Ready? I'm going to give them to you. First one starts with the letter I, identify. How can we be witnesses? Identify those around us who are apart from Christ. How do you do that? It's real simple. Look to your left and to your right. Look to your left and to your right when you're standing in your front yard. When you, when you pull into your driveway today, don't, don't go in to the garage and close the garage door without saying, who's on my left and who's on my right? Do they know Christ? When you're at the gym tomorrow morning, working out, go to the gym later today, look who's on the elliptical to your left and to your right. Students, I don't know if you have school tomorrow. My kids are off school tomorrow, but when you go to school, look to your left and, and to your right. Who's seated there? Do they know Christ? Identify him. Workers, they're in the office. You go into the office, take note. Just don't go in ready to work. Go in ready to identify who's to my left and to my right who doesn't know Christ. You go on and on, the sports teams that you help coach. You could go on and on about people that you come in contact with on a regular basis. Who's on your left and who's on your right? Identify them and say, this is whom God has put in front of me and identified as those who are unreached. They do not know Christ. And then here's the second I. Identify, then invest. Invest in them. Now, here's the first thing you need to do when it comes to an investment. Pray, pray, pray and ask the Father to show you how can I begin to invest in the lives of other people. Pray and then ask, where's the need? Where's the hurt? Where's the point of transition? Where's the point of of, of a milestone in their life? Where, Where are they headed? Where are they going? What's going on in their lives? Invest in them. Pray and ask and, and pray and act on their behalf. I love the, the text that my wife received this week and, and she shared it with me about a lady who said, I, I, I want you to pray for someone that I've started a relationship with. He, here, here's what she did. She, she noticed uh, there was a lady in her neighborhood who was, who was walking her dogs. And so this is a beautiful thing. She started walking her dogs with this other lady. <laughs> How simple is that? What type of investment is that? That's not a very big investment at all, is it? She begins walking her dog with this lady and begins to strike up a relationship with her. But then this individual, this lady tears her rotator cuff and she has to have surgery. And she's out for surgery. So she has identified someone who does not know Christ. Now she begins to invest in her and she begins to mow her lawn and she begins to take care of the yard. She begins to pray and then to to act, to invest in her life. And so this this lady has recently said, you know what, Um, I I want to take you out for a meal because um, I know you're not going to take any money for what you're doing. And here was the, the words of this lady as she wrote in this text. She said, will you pray for me that I might have the opportunity to engage her with the gospel? Isn't that beautiful? Identify, are, are we identifying those who are lost? Are, are we investing in them? And then here's the third eye are, are we inviting them? Are, are we asking them into a new relationship or into a new environment? Now, that can be any number of different ways. We can ask them to come here to church. You realize that people, when they do come to church, It's primarily because someone has taken the time to invest in them and say, will you come with me? Will you come with me? Maybe you're a guest here and someone has invited you to come. It's a beautiful thing. It's simply this picture of of an invitation. We we want you to be here. We want you to to enter into this environment, this relationship, into this service. In the fall, we're going to start a a 9 o'clock service. In the worship in the uh, fellowship hall, modern service, why because we 're full we 're over eighty percent capacity there at ten thirty right now in that room where we 're eighty percent capacity we have been for some time, and so here is our heart that we create space for more people to worship Jesus, for more people to hear the good news and so what is it going to take it 's going to take people with this value of reaching Lost people saying, I am going to step out and I'm going to invite someone to come. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to sacrifice and create space at 1030. Maybe some of you will move down. Some of you will move into that 9 a.m. worship service. But this is where that value, we hold this value high. We want to reach people with the gospel. And so we create a new environment. We create a new space. We create a new worship service. Why? so that we can ask people, we can invite them to come and be a part of that. Maybe God's stirring in your heart for this spring or this summer or next fall as you're beginning to make plans about what you're going to do with your life and how you're going to invest in in growing to be like Christ. But maybe for some of you, the step is this, that you're going to create a new environment or a new Bible study or a new book club or a new prayer group or something new where you can invite not just those who know Jesus. That's great. That's fine. But how about thinking through, what if I invited someone to walk with me who does not know Christ for the purpose of engaging them? It'd be radically different for some of us. And then here's the last thing to increase. There's this sense that when Jesus poured into those guys and they became like him, he sent them out and they multiplied. So some of you are called, some of you listening to my voice this morning have been called to either step out or you're going to be sent out for the gospel. All of us need to have this mentality. All of us need to have this mindset where the gospel of Jesus Christ is causing us to do something that will cause us either to step out or to send others out. I love hearing this morning as we prayed as ministers before our time where the the, the group that went to the Arabian Peninsula, to our unreached people group, They're in the airport now. Larry and Carolyn are are there in the Philadelphia airport. They're coming back. But Haley Dean, who we sent out from here, a young person grew up here, and now she's over there. This past week alone, as we've prayed and as we've invested in this unreached people group, and what I mean by unreached is more than just simply lost. These are people where there is no known gospel witness whatsoever. This past week alone, one of the IMB, International Mission Board missionaries over there, sent an email back. It just came over the weekend that said, this past week alone, we had the privilege of sharing the gospel 16 times with lost people. And we're just praying for one. And here is what saturates a church. If we can connect with Jesus when it comes to reaching lost people, it will mean us moving outside of our comfort zone to identify and to invest and invite. But it will also cause us to send and to multiply and to get the gospel out as fast as we can. So this is what this value is all about. And how will you respond this morning? Will it be business as usual? Will it be just a sermon that just kind of, yeah, we got it, that's the value, and, it, and it's just flying at the 30,000 foot level? Or is this something that can, that can come down and, and, and flow into your heart, and it can flow into your life, and can fill your mind, and it can change your perspective, and you have power and you're the plan. You're the plan. You're the one that Jesus sees with great potential. Will you open your eyes and will you see what Jesus sees? Let's pray together about that right now. Father, we bow this morning with our hearts and with our souls and with our minds before you. And if worship is truly confession and submission and response after hearing the words of Jesus, we respond this morning in both rooms, in quiet. Where you see our hearts and you know what needs to be changed. And you know where power is needed. You know where the power that raised Jesus from the dead needs to be applied to our hearts. You know the areas of transformation in us that need to be fixed or healed or repaired. So that we can carry out the plan that Jesus has for all of us. So, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come. That your Holy Spirit would work in us and would work in our, as we leave, Father, as we get in our cars and as we go to our neighborhoods and as we go out to eat and as we come back here to this campus and throughout the week as we go to school, as we go to the gym. May we walk and may we See as Jesus would. He's given us a mission. He's given us people to our left and to our right. He's given us His Spirit. Oh Father, would you transform us? As we hold this value high, we hold Jesus high. And Father, may our maturity, may our depth, May our joy be found in the gospel coming to us but then running through us. May this week be marked by encounters, simple, small, maybe even large, engagement of the gospel with others. So Lord, hear our prayer. May we respond to you in Christ's name. Amen.